13 years ago, on, on this very day, I set out with three friends in an old Camry on the backwoods of New Hampshire. We were headed to a lake house, and my friend Haley announced that she knew a good shortcut. Famous last words, right? Well, it turned out that she had only taken this shortcut when it was covered in a couple of feet of packed snow. And August made for a, a different scene. There were deep, muddy potholes and, and big rocks to maneuver around. And the longer we followed the road, the more questionable it seemed. But we were 22 and adventurous and maybe just a little bit foolish. So on we went. We were well into the middle of nowhere when we encountered along the side of the road a wooden sign that said simply, this road does not go to Dorchester, which was incidentally where we were trying to go. But we knew how bad the road was behind us and so we hedged our bets and continued on. It got worse. We, we, three of us had to get out of the car because we were bottoming out. We, we had to push the car around boulders and eventually up and over a couple of makeshift ramps to clear some exposed culverts. But finally, after maybe two hours of this, we emerged onto a dirt road. And at that point, we discovered that from that end, it was, uh, it was really well marked that what we had been driving on was a trail that was intended for feet and horses and bikes, not cars. I wish that I was exaggerating, but I, I really am not here. At this point, we were completely lost. The, the new dirt road was really helpful, though. It was very smooth and our spirits were lifted. We found pavement and we began to speed up, looking forward to, to finding some town or someone, some way to figure out what county we were in at this point. And then, coming around a corner, we came to a stop. Before us stood a gate a locked gate. It was flanked uh, immediately on both sides by boulders, and on one side there was a steep hill going up, and on the other a drop-off. There was no getting around it. We could see a real road just on the other side, but we were absolutely stuck. Stuck locked in, stopped in our tracks, no way forward. Friends, there is no question that sometimes we find ourselves in these places 
Sometimes it's the luck of the draw, sometimes it is our own doing, and sometimes, like on that evening in the muggy August of New Hampshire in the gathering darkness, you realize that you are stuck after already having spent a long time in the wilderness. Maybe it's that trekking through the wilderness that makes Peter's epiphany so glorious and so jarring. He's been traveling all over with Jesus, and for quite a while, he's he's followed, but so often he has been confused, flailing, and, and sometimes completely missing the point. They've gone through storms and contentious debates. They've worked with the sick and the desperate. They've wrestled through completely perplexing parables that I suspect Peter only pretends to understand in the moment. But here, today, Jesus pauses to check in with the disciples. What are they hearing? What do people say? But more importantly, what do they themselves see? Who do they know Jesus to be? Peter seems to leap to the question almost viscerally. It doesn't strike me as a response that he's been working out for a long time. It's it's just from his heart, this gut witness to what is unfolding in front of him. Who do you say that I am, Jesus wonders aloud. The Messiah, the Son of the living God, Peter blurts out. The Messiah, which is to say the anointed one, the one long hoped for, the one awaited to heal, to reconcile, to liberate. The Son of the living God. Jesus' response to Peter is equally swift and striking. This witness is the bedrock of the community, he says. This ability to see hope in the present, to understand the freedom that is at hand. This is why we gather as a community of faith. This is what will carry us forward. Jesus announces that he's giving Peter the keys to the kingdom, but it seems to me like maybe Peter already had them. That maybe the the key Jesus has just named is what he's been giving to the disciples all along, and the ability to see, to hope, to unlock. Too often these so-called keys to the kingdom They're taken as a form of power rather than as great responsibility. Over time, they they come to represent prestige and control and, and most especially the ability to decide who's in and who's out. This is how I have seen them used in the church. And it is antithetical to the gift that Jesus first offers. Jesus came to preach and enact liberation. 
the act of throwing the gates wide open to the holy, to the kingdom, this is central to our call. The foundation of of who we are and how we come together is this practice of seeing God for who God is, just as Peter shows us. The practice that follows, then, is his taking away the barriers to the living God for ourselves and, and even more so for each other. And that can be hard to remember when you're still locked out. Back on the wrong side of that very locked gate, We were wringing our hands and longing for freedom. We were hoping that maybe we'd find somebody who would know the owner of the gate. But it was pretty dark at this point, and there were no cars even to flag down. We sat on the pavement, hungry and tired and dejected, expecting to sleep there that night. Well... Three of us were sitting there. If only we had keys, we thought. If only keys would have helped. It was actually a combination lock. Four digits, 10,000 possibilities. But our friend Haley, she never sat down. While we were snacking and waiting and recounting our adventures of the day and lamenting our stuckness, our locked-in-ness, she she looked over to us and nonchalantly called out, Got it! We turned to look and Haley held up the open lock. While we had been sighing and giving up, she had been puzzling, wondering what the code could be. She thought a year would be an easy number to remember, and so she started flipping through from 1900, and at 2006, the lock dropped open. We were free. This is the way Peter leads. This is the way Haley stepped forward. This is the faith that we are called to live into, even now. It's a way of trust that acknowledges what has been seen, the the liberation that has been experienced already, the opening that has emerged when all seemed blocked, the way that was made out of no way. It's the faith of naming, as Peter does, that yes, we have encountered this God who is setting us free, this God who has pulled us into life, this God who is throwing the gates wide open for us, even now when we seem so stuck. It is the vision that becomes the key for Peter and for those first followers and And it was the key, or rather the combination, that Haley found as well. It seemed that that there was this visceral tug within her, the confidence that freedom could be close at hand, enough so that she could almost see it. 
but she could begin to reach for it. She decided to keep tinkering, to keep exploring, keep looking, because she had not given up on our liberation. She could imagine that our adventure in following this living God was still abundantly underway, playing out even there on the wrong side of this gate the rest of us thought was so hopelessly locked. Such is the son of the living God, this the one we follow, the Jesus who has come to set us all free, the one who draws us into the embrace of, the lo of this loving God. When all seems stuck, when hope seems to be locked so far beyond our grasp, out of sight, may we remember who it is that we follow. May our lives be a witness to this freedom.